Well, good morning, everybody. I hardly ever get up here without thinking, man, the service could just be done after prayer and worship and all that. I'm so thankful for this crew of people. Wow. Um, if you're a little guy and you didn't leave already, you're, it's time. You can get going. Uh, one other quick announcement. Uh, we're, one of our uh, uh, staff people is looking for a one-bedroom apartment. So if you have one of those to rent at your home or know somebody or have some connection, we'd love to uh, hear about that so we can sort of make those connections. So if you would uh, be praying, thinking about that. Uh, let me make sure. I think that's all I needed to say. Okay. So um, several years ago, I went to Frontier, which is Young Life Camp for high school kids, and I was a leader, and I went with Pierce High School in Richardson. Some of you are familiar with that place. And so we got in the big buses, and the whole, you know, we had 150 kids or something, and we went to camp, and so each night they do a message, and it's just raucous and crazy and fun, and then they bring it down to this moment where the speaker progresses each night through the gospel, through what it is to know Jesus and cross the line of faith. And I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time, and by the end of the week, I was like, sign me up. I'm ready to go again. Um, And you're praying for these kids, because Young Life is geared towards kids who do not know Jesus. And uh, with the idea of gently and persuasively introducing him to them so they can make a decision and be called by God into his family. So about the third night, uh, or next to the last night, I guess I should say, there's a kid, and he's one of those sort of wilder uh, high school kids, and we're in the wild song part of it, and it just starts to mellow into the mellow song part of it, and he he goes, Scott, I need to talk to you. So we kind of sneak out and go outside the door, and it's dark and just beautiful Colorado, you know, sky and all that. And, and he goes, I really, I feel like it's time for me to know Jesus. And, you know, uh, there's almost nothing like that experience. To be there with someone when they're ready to step into adoption to the family of Christ. And I, basically, I kind of went back to my, like, training in that. I said, well, what's keeping you from doing that right now? And he said, uh, I don't think anything. What should I do? So we prayed. And that was the moment he went from being eternally separated from our good God to relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And that was, uh, I mean, I was, you know, I'd have gone to camp every week the rest of the summer for that uh, moment, that one moment with that one kid. But I have to say that that's not something that happens around me all the time. I'm not usually the person who's at the end of that process. I'm usually someone who fits into the middle somewhere and is encouraging someone to know Jesus and walk with him. And there are those who are like that. They're, they're at the end of the, they're, they're kind of at the end of the process and they bring them across the line and then other people pick it up and help take a person further in their walk with Jesus. I don't know if you're a believer in here where it is that you often fit into that process. If you're the person who kind of, uh, prays with people and and has a lot of stories of people coming to Christ around you, or maybe you're just a part of that in encouraging people to know him, inviting him. Well, what we're going to do in the next seven weeks in this series is 
something that we're calling in this series. We're calling it Tell It on a Mountain. And the first part of that's really fairly obvious. Tell it on a mountain. That's where we are. The second part of it is that we want to encourage our body, those people who know Jesus, to be a part of inviting people to know him, to own the passion that God has for those who are separated from him, to, to feel that in such a way that we have an urgency about it within our lives and execute. There's a passage uh, in Isaiah 52, and some of you may know this or be familiar with it. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, to the people of God, your God reigns. You know, my dream, the leadership of our church has this dream too, that we as a body would be those who would be delivering that message that makes the appearance of them, not not the way we look, but what we are about so beautiful that it attracts people into relationship with Jesus. Literally, for the next two to three years, this is going to be a very significant emphasis of what we're doing at Obi Joyful Church. So that at the end of that time and through that time, we'll see a few things happen. We'll see this church celebrating people who've come across the line of faith and are now walking with Jesus. And then when we see growth in this body, it's not going to be because people came into town or moved into town. That's always going to be a part of who we are. But that we see people who are converting from not knowing Jesus into knowing him and believing in him and trusting him for their lives. And thirdly, that the people in our church who are believers would be comfortable and excited about being a part of that process. It's one of those things in our culture where it can be intimidating to say something about our faith. We're not making anybody make a decision. We're just telling them who it is that we believe in. And how, how does that look? How do we do that? How do we tell it on a mountain? At the end of this and through these next couple of years, we would love it if believers here feel comfortable expressing who they are in Jesus so that the story is told and people have the opportunity to know him. And if you are a believer, I think that that makes you excited. If you're not a believer, you may be going, well, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's not for me right now. I'm, well, no, it isn't. So I want to encourage you just to hear what it is that we're saying. And you'll see how God has unfolded his plan in such a beautiful way that it has drawn some of us to know him and walk with him with our entire life. So let me give you just a super quick outline of how this message series is going to look for those of you who will be here or can watch us online or whatever. So it's going to start today with this kind of big overview, the heart of God for people. All he has done, and we're going to, you know, in 15 minutes, draw that into a little nutshell. Don't ask me how I'm going to do it, but we're going to try. Um, and then we're going, to, we're going to bring that down, and we're going to talk about how that plan then involves Jesus, and how that plan involves his church, and how that plan involves you and me, and how that plan uh, is actually worked out practically. How do we do this thing that we're talking about? And over the next several weeks, that sort of cascade is going to be our organization. But here is the main point for today. I just want us to have the tiniest glimpse of God's incredible heart for us. And what I mean by that when I say us is people who have, were 
lost away from him, not in relationship with Jesus, and came into faith. And his incredible heart for those who do not know him. Because all of us who do know him now were once outside of that and not adopted into his family. So there's a passion there that I'd love to introduce to you. And if you're familiar with it and you've been thinking about it for years, I just want to refresh that and stoke that fire a little bit and get us excited about it. And the verse that we're going to is like this this key verse in the scripture that probably all of us know by heart, or at least know some of it. Or I've seen it at a sign at a football game. Uh, I pulled up this morning and I pulled right in behind LeRae's car. Her car was, she's the one who read this morning. And on the back of her car is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's what the core of the message of the scripture is. It, it's sort of like this... Um, platform on which the stage of the whole scripture unfolds. I mean, it's, a, it's like a stage on which the play of the whole scripture unfolds. And so we're going to use that as sort of a, uh, a jumping off point to see how it is that God's heart is revealed in what he has done. Three points, his mission, his heart, and his plan. God's mission, God's heart, in his plan, all right? So let's talk about this mission for a moment. And by the way, I don't want to go any further without saying we're going to do communion after this. So I think Lisa's going to lead us in that. So uh, you could be preparing your heart for that as we're doing this. We're going to talk a lot about um, things I think play right into our, uh, those moments we'll have as we remember what Jesus did for us in a few moments. So, Uh, His mission. What's driving the story of the Bible? The story of, what's God, of what God is doing. The second part of John 3.16 tells us what's driving our God. That whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So two parts of the mission that I want to break out for you and, and try to uh, just give us a little bit of illustration of. Part of it is this, first one. His mission is that we should not perish. That we should not be separated from him forever. He is going to deal with the catastrophic consequences of sin. In order for us not to perish, he has to deal with the catastrophic consequences of sin. From the beginning of mankind, when we read the story in Genesis, what we see is that people, our predecessors, rejected him, walked away from him, chose to uh, not trust what he told them. One, one thing he said, don't do. And they chose not to trust that it would be okay if they, if they continued to follow him. But they choose, chose to rebel. They had no idea the consequences of that. It was a catastrophic decision. In the same way, though we have inherited the, uh, the penalty from them of their uh, decision to walk away, we have that that comes down to, to us through generations. We also, on our own, make choices that are absolutely destructive to ourselves, spiritually and physically. 
I had a friend, uh, his name's John, when he was in middle school, uh, he was doing something middle school boys do. He was lighting fires. Uh, And so they thought they had a good plan. They were in a developing neighborhood, so there were, you know, neighbor, you know, house tracked over here and over there, and they'd gone into this area where there was a road built and some fields and stuff, but the houses were pretty far away, and there wasn't any traffic over there, so they decided, well, the best place we can build a fire, if we're going to build one, is in the street. So, you know, that makes sense, right? No, it really does. It really does. I'm not making fun of them. You've got to build a fire in the street if you're 14. Um, Not in your backyard. And so, uh, they build some fires, and they're, you know, they're lighting the newspapers they found. I don't know what else. I don't remember what he said. But anyways, when they're done, they just push all that stuff that they had burned into one of those curbside uh, water drain things, you know, which seems, yeah, that's where the water goes. That's smart. Push it in there. And so they're hanging out later in the afternoon. I guess it's a summer day. And uh, they hear all these sirens, like crazy sirens. And they go outside and like, what is going on? And they can see smoke. And they're like, oh, man. They, you know, so they get on their bikes. They're like stranger things. They're riding over there. And, uh, you know, they get over. And what they had done is they'd pushed that stuff into that drain. But somehow that drain had combustible stuff in it. And it had lit this field on fire. And it was raging and headed towards the houses. Right, so there's fire trucks all around trying to deal with this thing that they had done, really in complete innocence because it's just what they do. Now, here's what they did. They ran and hid. Also totally logical. Now, some of you can relate to that story. I'm not talking about anyone in here, by the way. But uh, does it? as I was thinking about that story, I was like, you know, they did this thing they thought was innocuous and not a big deal. They knew it was probably risky, but it had such huge consequences in almost, you know, truly catastrophic consequences, maybe life, right? And they ran and hid. Does that sound like any other story that you've ever heard? They were ashamed, they were afraid, and they ran and they hid. Because what they did was much greater than they ever imagined the consequences could be for. Um, the fire that they started, our predecessors, the fires that we've started, are too big for us to put out. Tyler prays about that almost every week. He says, the debt that we owe is too big. But you, God, have taken the initiative to cover for us. That's a beautiful thing. The first part of his mission is that we should not perish because of the consequences of what we've done. The second part is that we would have eternal life. Those are the two pieces of the second half of John 3.16. Well, there's a lot to be said about what he means by eternal life. Our souls are permanent. They're forever, whether we know him or not. But when this in this passage, when it says eternal life, what he means is eternally in relationship with him. That's what he's after. He wants to offer his rebellious creation a relationship with himself that is like a loving, adoptive father and mother bringing them in, bringing the lost into the family. 
regardless of how far that person has gone away. So he has this mission to rescue and to adopt. But all of that is because of the heart of God. So the first part of John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let me translate that. He so loved us and all that was broken by our rebellion that he paid the highest possible price. God loved us so much and all that was broken by our rebellion that he paid the highest possible price to restore relationship. The scripture's full of examples of what that looks like and how he did it and what the process was and all that. But I want to read to you a passage that is from one of my favorite chapters. If I could only have one chapter in the scripture, this might be one of them. It's Luke 15. And Luke 15 has these parables that Jesus is telling to some folks who are skeptical of him. And each one of them is a story of the rejoicing of God over those who are lost that are found. I'm going to read you the first one. This is uh, Luke 15, 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. You know, most of us will have a hard time uh, relating to the story of the shepherd. The people he's talking to will relate instantly. Many of them would have grown up in that world and and, in actually having the the role of being a shepherd. Jesus knows that they're going to understand that when you have something of serious, significant value and you lose it, you're going after it. But what Jesus doesn't say in this illustration, he doesn't say, that for each sheep that he goes after, the cost is the life of the shepherd to bring that sheep home. That's what he can't explain to them yet. But when he is saying that the shepherd goes after the sheep, he means a very significant thing. That when he goes after the lost sheep, which is each one of us, that that rescue comes at the cost of his life. One thing about that passage in all of the stories that Jesus tells right there is a key, and that's the bottom part of it. He says, he brings that sheep back on his shoulders rejoicing. And then he calls his friends together and they rejoice over the bringing home of the lost sheep. What he's saying is that the cost is worth it. There's a lot of foreshadowing there that those people don't quite understand yet. But the cost to Jesus of redeeming that lost child is worth it. And he's going to rejoice regardless of the suffering that it cost him. Personally, I'm extremely thankful for God's passion for his heart for people who are lost that he wants to bring into relationship with him forever. So we've got this mission that he's on. We've got his heart, which I've just like touched the very top of. And we've got his plan. And a lot of you in your phone, 
or in your lap have a copy of the recording of his plan. And that comes in the scripture. It would be by the gift of Jesus, by his blood, his life is often called his blood, as the scripture often says. And what that means is that he has sacrificed himself his entire life in order to draw us to him. A debt was required that was greater than we could pay. Lorraine read this for us. This is an amazing passage. Let it soak in. Colossians 1.15 Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the beginning of the story. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Do you remember that place in the scripture after Jesus is resurrected and the disciples are a little bit scattered and he is, uh, part of uh, his story at that point is he's walking with some of the disciples who are, are saying, hey, we're, we're going back to our old job. We, it's over. We don't get it. And it says he explained to them the story of himself from the beginning of the scripture till the end. And would that be awesome? The story of the scripture, the, the tension in it is the redemption of man. The hero of it, the focus of it, is Jesus. This is, uh, my wife loves children's books, and this is Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's all about how Jesus is revealed throughout the entire scripture and God's plan from the beginning. And I just want to read to you uh, a little bit, and I'll show you the pictures, so don't get uptight. Um, this is from the beginning. This is from Genesis. This is after his creation, the pinnacle of his creation has rejected him and is now beginning to face the consequences after they've run in shame from what they've done because they recognize how serious it is. They're up here. I know it's really small. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain and not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You'll have to leave the garden for now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your home. 
It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. And he gently, he, he gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long journey out of the garden and out of their home. Well, in another story, it would have all been over, and that would have been the end. But not this story. Because there was a plan. And the plan is this, that Jesus would be exalted over all because of what he did to make relationship between us and God possible again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be the hero. He might be first, that we might worship him. We are important, so important, that this one who is over all would sacrifice himself for us. Do you see the value that's been put upon us? The one who would be lifted up for everyone is the one whose value to God is above all things, that he would be preeminent. And it's also the one who would sacrifice himself for the broken, rebellious creation that is you and I. What an amazing gift that is. The heart of God for us is unfathomable. Let me pray, and then Lisa, if you'll lead. Father, uh, I know that uh, we can never really get any kind of grip on what it is that you've done, who your son is, and accepting the Except in what you let us see. Um, and I pray, God, that we would have a, um, a moment here where we just are silent and celebrate uh, what he has done, what you have done, how you have uh, not made that end of Genesis the end of the story, uh, but, Lord, the beginning of the story of redemption and reconciliation with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.